You know when your mojo is working, you feel like anything is possible. There's a spring in your step, your thoughts are clear, and well, you've just got the vibe. If you're looking for that vibe, or if you just want to keep it, you've come to the right station. Welcome to the Mojo Radio Show. I got my mojo working. Hey everybody and welcome to this week's edition of the Mojo Radio Show. Nice to have you in the house. Thank you for hitting the download button. If you're a regular, welcome back. If you're a newbie, welcome to the show. We just find interesting people that we can interview, have a chat to, spend some time with and get their thoughts, their views, their opinions, their tips, their tools on how to get your mojo working in and out of the workplace. Thank you to everybody who's been onto iTunes and left us a rating and or a review. They're pouring in. It helps us to spread the message, to get more people to get their mojo working. If you've taken the time to give us one line, we really appreciate it, guys. It does get our mojo working. We are completely ad-free, sponsor-free, absolutely free. It's uh, it's a pretty rough show, as you'll see. So we run completely on a smell of an oily rag, but that keeps the show going. That's the Orly Ray that keeps us going. And behind the panel, with a Orly Rag tucked in his back pocket, Robbo, welcome, mate. Thank you. How are you going? I've got to say, uh, something's something's on my mind. Mm. What's that? Well, recently, there's been this massive outpouring, and rightly so, for the greatest of all time, Muhammad Ali. Yep. Absolutely no doubt. Greatest of all time. An inspiration yep. to all of us. We shared the life and the creativity of David Bowie, the musician. Brilliant, had influenced so many of us in fashion, art, pop culture, let alone Prince, uh, if you're if you're a, a, an Englishman from the UK. In fact, globally, if, you're, if you love comedy from the old school comedy, Ronnie Corbett, we lost. Alan Rickman, the fabulous actor. I mean, I never knew how much he had done in his life until we celebrated his life once he had passed away. Mm. One of your favourites, Lemmy from Motorhead, passed away this yep. year. Um, I lost a country idol, Merle Haggard, who's one of the absolute country what icons Mel of all time. Wow. Merle's gone from us. But wow. what's got me saddened mm. is that it's not until these guys pass away that we actually take a good look at what they've done to celebrate their creativity, their influence on community, mm. what they did for others, the mm. impact they have on you and me, our families, the corporate world, business, arts, socially, fashion. And I just, it just kind of, on the weekend, I got a lot of people sending me quotes and video clips and of, of, you know, Muhammad Ali, the greatest of all time. And I reveled in it, it was fabulous. But I went, well, you know, the last 10 years, the guy's still around and still doing his thing, but he never gets to see the outpouring of, and I, I, don't, I don't exactly know what the answer is to it, but. It just seems to me that it was the same thing with Prince or with Bowie, is that the outpouring doesn't come until they left us. Mm, mm. And wouldn't it be nice to have a, a day where we could celebrate amazing people with the impact they've had so they could celebrate in that whilst they're still around? And I don't exactly know how to do it, and I just reckon there's something that the Mojo Radio Show should do to contribute to this because, you know, the Glenn Fries and all these guys that we've talked about and celebrated, it's all... It happens after the fact, and mm. it just, I don't know, it just saddens me that, that we, it takes an event like that to bring us to acknowledge on social media, in conversation, in blogs, on websites, on, it's on every national news, and mm. there's so much talent and impact people do, but, you know, we don't get to hear about it, so it's too late. Yeah, and I think you're talking too about something that's always sort of intrigued me, is that we, on the 11th hour of the 11th day, of the 11th month, we always stop for a minute to remember those who fought in the war and gave us the liberties that we have now. Yet, for me, that's something we should do every day. You know what yeah. I mean? That's something we should be thankful for every day as we crawl out of bed. Mm. Um, and I guess to a certain extent we are. But yeah, you're right. Why does it take a special day? Why does it take a certain moment to stop and remember these people in general, whether they fought in a war, whether they're a comedian, a, a music a personality, or, or, or just a celebrity in general? It's interesting, isn't it? And rather than just, you know, rest in peace, it should be a celebration of life. Yes, you know, that's it should right. be a, a, we'll call it a soul, a celebration of life, a COL. So mm. I think... Um, there's something we should do. And I think from our listeners, what would be interesting is for you to let us know 
either ring the answering machine, which is 08 7200 or you just ring 08 7200 Mojo on your keypad. Email us through our website, themojoradioshow.com. Hit us up on Facebook, anywhere you like. Just get in touch and say, who would you like us to run a little piece on to celebrate their life? Mm. Celebrate the C-O-L, the celebration of life, regardless mm. of whether their health status or anything else. But just let's just make it sound good and let's celebrate mm. these people in our own little way. So um, that'd be interesting to hear from people. And there might even be a soap in a rope in it for them, Gary. Well, I've got to say, it's, it's, it's the go-to <laughs> item. It's the it must-have to be all over Instagram this week since we launched it. It's been, it's been everywhere, people <laughs> wanting the Mojo Radio Show soap, soap on a rope. rope. They just yeah. want to shower with Robbo and GB. That's I, right. I, what, <laughs> now, listen, I've got a bit of a bone to pick. With you. With me? Yeah, with you. It was my hope birthday on Saturday. I hope, yeah. hope it's a grass bed, bone. <laughs> it probably would be. Well, it would be if, you know, my best mate came through, you know. <laughs> <laughs> well, what have I done? What haven't I done? No, listen, you know it was my birthday on Saturday and, and I actually saw that on the Espresso you posted this. There's a brand new alarm clock that's come out that wakes you up to the smell of brewing coffee. <laughs> and I was yeah. just wondering whether I should be a little concerned that the package hasn't turned up yet. Well, look... To be fair, I did read Pete Harrison from <laughs> right. Fish River Roasters yes. and I did say to Pete, what can we do here, mate? And he said, look, let me whiteboard it with my team. I'll come back to you. <laughs> so I'm just going to put it right on to Pete Harrison right. and all these guys at Fish River Roasters. Joe and Sandra, I haven't heard back yet, but I'm sure the team I'm will sure work out this. <laughs> Hang tight. Hang tight. You're only 22. You've got plenty, plenty of birthdays to go. Oh, mate. Tell you what, 47 and feeling every day of it. But anyway, uh, that's all right. Yeah, I wish you do. We'll have, to give, we'll have to give you a flashback on the aging program with Smithy with Michael Smith. That was a good yeah, show. That, actually, that was. That, that show on ageing uh, mm. rated very, very well for us. Yeah, no, that was a huge show. And um, speaking of huge shows, we've got another one coming up. We've got a Double Shop yeah. Monday. It's the Mojo Show Double Shot Monday. Hey, we got another call on the answering machine this week. It's running, it's running hot. Since, it's we, running. since we announced Serp on a Rope, it's been running hot. Everybody wants some. Who, um, who rang? It was, um, it was Buzz from, uh, from Ganga Jane. No, really? Yeah, totally. Well, uh, should I say totally, Buzz totally, from... Totally, dude. Yeah, like, like <laughs> so seriously. Like, Sorry, hello, I've, Taylor I've, Swift, I've hello. been watching Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles with the kids, so I think totally's become part of the Excellent. vernacular. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> but no, Buzz, is, um, Buzz and Ganga Jang are back on the road and they've also got a new single out. So um, I reckon we should give them a call and say g'day, don't you? Get him on the line. Uh, hello? <laughs> that's, that sounds like Buzz. Is that who I think it is? <laughs> it's Robbo and Gary. How are you, mate? Hey, Buzz. Yeah, it's Robbo and Gary. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. And yourself? Damn fine. I'm uh, I'm in, you know, lovely, lovely northern suburbs of Sydney. How could you and go back? based in sunshine, in fact. Lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Buzz, we... Um we got your message and we have been jamming to the brand new single for Ganga Jang. Which I gotta say, it's so refreshing to have a band that Robbo and I grew up with in our halcyon days of Triple M and the Two Day yeah. Network. Mate, um, having listened to the song a number of times now, lyrically having a good hard listen to it, tell us tell us the story that sits behind Circles in the Sand. Okay, well, it was inspired by a group known as the Pinterby Nine. And the Pinterby Nine were the last nomads to walk out of the desert about 600 k's west of Alice Springs in the early 1980s. In fact, around the time that Ganga Jang started, these nine people walked out of the desert and were the last known nomads to encounter white man. Wow. Yeah. And, and we went out to this place called Kintor, which is the community next to where these people walked out of the desert. And... Uh, I was watching kids there do sand drawings and they do the circles in the sand and they do these incredible drawings. And I spoke to people about it, that that was really how people out in that community, I mean, pretty much all around Aboriginal communities, they used to make these sand paintings and drawings. 
and um, and then they just let the wind take them and, you know, the rain or whatever is going to happen to them or people walk on them. And, uh, and it was really the start of the um, of the modern art movement, you know, the dot painters, when, when a guy took some canvas and paints out there and said, why don't you try painting on this canvas instead of doing it in the sand? And... And all of that story of that art movement and I guess the people that I've that I've come in contact with over now 15 or 16 years that I've been working in that space just kind of was in my head and I was thinking about this circles in the sand thing and I went to uh, I went to Adelaide to see um, um, some friends and stuff and I saw my, a keyboard player I went around to his house and I said I got this idea for a song about circles in the sand he said man that's Great title, you know, what it's about. And, the people. and that um, that kind of led to us, you know, picking up a guitar and, you know, a couple of hours later we had the song. I'm really intrigued hearing Circles in the Sand and then thinking back to some of the classic Ganga Jang songs. And I guess for our, we have an international uh, audience for the Mojo Radio Show, <laughs> thankfully. But for those people who aren't uh, Australians um, or we have expats living overseas, Ganga Jang are an iconic Australian band who now have been rocking great, almost Australian anthems for 30-odd years. And it's fair to say, Buzz, that um, the sounds of then really has become a bit of a an iconic Australian anthem. The thing that occurred to me is listening to like the back catalogue of music that I grew up with and then Circles in the Sand, you're somehow as a band able to capture Australia and really re- represent it in rock. What's the songwriting process like at Ganga Jang? Well, um, it, it sort of differs because we're all, we all write. Um, you know, we all write in our, in our different ways and either individually or, or in a collective thing. I mean, I wrote a few songs with Cal that were on that first album, Give Me Some Lovin', that was our first single. So, you know, I wrote that with him. Um, other ones like Sounds of Then, This Is Australia. I mean, that that was a poem that, that Cal wrote uh, probably around the time we started the band. He'd written three, three sets of lyrics, right? Three songs, and one of them was Sounds of Then, and the other one was Bigger They Are, and the other one was Ambulance Men. And they were kind of stories about his time in a place called Bundaberg, Queensland. And what it was really about was that he was an English migrant. He came out here when he was in his early teens, and his dad and mum put him and his brother and sister in a car, and they started driving north from Brisbane, and they said to Mark and the family, they said, when you find somewhere you like, we'll, we'll live there. And they'd, they'd come from East Africa via England because their dad was in the army. So they wanted somewhere warm, so they started driving north. And as they got into Bundaberg, Mark and his brother saw all these kids. I don't, don't know if you've ever driven into Bundaberg, but there's sports yep. grounds there, yep. or sports grounds all the way. And they saw all these kids playing soccer. And, um, and they went, uh, and went, wow, this is, uh, this is incredible, <laughs> you know, because they loved soccer. Um, and they said, we want to live here. So they, they got a place and their, their house was a very modest little, you know, triple front brick, brick veneer, cream brick veneer home. But it was right on the outskirts of Bundaberg in a suburb called Kalki. And when you stood on their patio and looked out over the cane fields where the lightning would crack, and there was, you know, lines of cattle walking through the cane fields and around there. Mark was just basically with that poem was describing, well, the house is awkward. It faces west, long diagonals and sloping too. And in the distance, in the heat haze, in convoys of silent cattle graze. The block is awkward. It faces west, long diagonals and sloping too. And in the distance, through the heat haze, and that's the first, right? You know, in a room of silent hardy flex. 
a certain texture, that certain smell. So he's remembering the house that he lived in. He's remembering... And, and the thing was that, that they used to sit out on the patio and laugh and think they were in Australia. They go, my God, I don't believe this. Look at that lightning cracking over the cane fields and on the humidity that they breathe. And they just go, well, we're in Australia. I can hear it, Robbo. I know, it's crazy, isn't it? It's actually You know, that's the story of Sounds of Then. That's how that set of lyrics came about. And then Mark has played us, he had a melody for it, but the band the band got hold of it and we did our thing to it. And, you know, the combination of everyone has made a very, very you know, unique piece of music that, that has a wonderful lyric and, you know, and a singable chorus and, and all of that stuff. And um, it didn't hurt that it was used by a couple of people to promote products, you know. It didn't hurt that a couple of TV stations used it. But, you know, the, the, the main thing was the songwriting process. I mean, Robert James, our guitar player, has, uh, I mean, he co-wrote a song with Mark called Hundreds of Languages, which is a cracker song. It's a, it's a fantastic song. But Robbie's got, you know, tons of songs of his own that, that he writes. I'm, I'm more of a co-writer and I'm, I'm more of a producer, co-writer person, you know, like I'm more, I guess, um, known for, for being the guy behind the desk, you know, twiddling knobs and doing that stuff. Buzz, what, what always intrigues me about, about the songwriting process is is being able to draw on something to go to, to like you're talking about drawing on, on sitting on the veranda. And I love the story Ivor Davies tells about writing um, great Southern land about being in an airplane and flying across the desert and just, you know, being inspired to write those lyrics. It's such a powerful thing, memory or, or sensory input when it comes to writing songs in general, isn't it? Sure. Ab- absolutely. And I mean, that's what all the best songwriters that I know are observers and they 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 looking around all the time. They got their eyes and their ears open all the time. And um, you know, uh, Paul Kelly's a great one when you talk to him about some of his stuff. I mean, he listens to people's conversations. You know, and he hears he hears a word or he hears a phrase or he reads a phrase or you know, he just oh man, and that just that just spurs him on to do um, to write. Um, and, I, and I think if um, if you're an observer and and you and you do kind of um, I guess seek out um, answers to things as well. I mean, you know, some people. Our, our songs are our songs. I mean, Ganga Jang. When I say Ganga Jang songs, which you know, are four different writers. You know, they're not just one writer. So, I mean, um, but they all seem to they all seem to be um, storytelling or 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 talking about you know talking about landscape or place or. Something like that, you know. It's, we 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 don't. Um, I mean, a lot of, in my in in my old 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 band, the Angels. I mean, you know, some of the lyrics were written by by just you know, people reading through books and and picking out a line and just writing it into a into a um, a notebook. And you know, then when people were making up lyrics, they'd look through their notebook and they just connect different, you know. Um, lines or thoughts or stuff that were not connected, but they'd make them into a lyric. And, and um, you know, I think a lot of people have done that. Mm. Do you journal, Buzz? You, you mentioned before that some of the great songwriters you've produced and or work with keep notebooks of different lyrics and then put them together to form a song or a poem. Are, are you a journaler yourself? No. Look, I'm, I'm uh, as I say, I, I have lots of bits of music. I, I, I'm one of those guys that, that uh, is constantly, I come up with melodies and ideas and chord progressions and grooves and whatever, and I'm constantly putting them onto my phone now. My phone's really good, you know, because that's, <laughs> that's fantastic. You just, you just you know, press the recorder and away you go. I used to have little cassette players on the road with me all the time and, you know. Um, cassette players. Well, you're showing your age now, mate. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, I always had a cassette player with me. I had a little ghetto blaster or quite a big one and I used to carry the <laughs> thing around the world with me, you know. 
and and it was it was really good though. I'd be able to go into a rehearsal with a band and put the ghetto blaster in the middle, press record, and have this great compressor on it, and it would just everything would go through this the microphone and get all squashed into this little cassette, and you'd listen to it. Shit, you know that sounds really good. Yeah, I've got some great recordings of of bands that I've been in in the rehearsal mm. stage. You know, like that. Um, but look, I I, I also. Um, I think one of the one of the ones that I remember fondly was Bon Scott, who I knew quite well. And um, you know, Bon always had his notebook with him. Uh, Doc always had a notebook with him. You know, Doc Neeson always had a notebook with him. And 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 his story about you know how we when we wrote No Secrets is a great story. I, I had a bit of music and some melody and um, a couple of words here and there, but you know. Um, I think I might have even had no secrets. I can't remember. I think I might have had that from somewhere. And Doc, I I hadn't played Doc the music. I just said, I've got this piece of music and I was mucking around with it and, you know, it'd be nice to get together sometime, you know, Um, (laughs) and, uh, you know, to to, to write something. And um, uh, Doc, Doc, we did a gig somewhere and Doc picked up a hitchhiker, a girl who was hitchhiking home. And um, she poured out this story. Her name was Amanda. She was an actress, and you know, she just, <laughs> she just poured out, poured out just told, told, told this story. Right? So good. Amanda, the actress, waits at the station. She's drifting with nothing to do. With Peloton steps, she's quite to accept. Doc was so, you know, inspired that he, he he just dropped her off at home. You know, there was no thought of anything else. He just dropped her off wherever she was going. He said, went around the corner, got out his notebook and wrote down everything he could remember. And that became the lyric for No Secrets. You know, Doc, uh, uh, Bon Scott had that as well. I mean, I would see him. We used to record at the same place as ACDC, of course, you know, with the Angels. We had the same Albert, yeah. 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 So we would, you know, hotbed the studio. Like they'd finish and we'd go in there or we'd finish and they'd go in there. And while, you know, I'd play the drums, do my drum bit and, you know, I was finished pretty quick, you know, and while they were mucking around with everything else, I'd go out to the front office and there's Bon sitting there writing lyrics, you know. He's usually having a big hash joint and write lyrics. Write lyrics. <laughs> <And> <laughs> it sounds like Bon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I, um, you know, I witnessed him writing some of those amazing songs. I, I, I remember, you know, just sort of sitting there with him while he's, you mm. know, while he's going through his notebook, and and uh, he he was a great one for you know the the stories and the you know the um yeah just he was an amazing songwriter, lyric writer. I loved his lyrics. Is there a song, Buzz, that you lyrically are inspired by? Like, is there a song that you listen to lyrically and go, I wish I'd have written that? Or is there a song that oh, you listen to? <laughs> what, what, just, give me, just give me a song or two that you go... That, that... Across, the, across the Universe by John Lennon. Words are flowing out like endless rain into a paper cup. They slither wildly as they slip away across the universe. That's, a, that's an amazing song. That's, that's a great one. And I, and I was reading something about John Lennon the other day and that was one of his favourite songs that he'd oh, written. Really? I went, oh, really? Yeah, and I went, oh, right, OK. That's <laughs> great. <laughs> I'm with you, John. <laughs> Um, <laughs> yeah. Now, Buzz, I reckon this would be a little-known fact that you actually have something in common with George Harrison from the Beatles. Am I correct? Apart from a love of ukuleles. There you go. Booyah, you got it. Got it. You more. got it. That's it. <laughs> so you're, you, you're into yeah. ukulele, ukulele, aren't you? Well, I am. I am. I started playing ukes about a year ago. I knew that George Harrison was a big ukulele fan. Um, he used to have a... He used to have a whole bootload of ukuleles, and he would um, he would uh, just turn up at someone's house. And Tom Petty tells the story uh, in a documentary, you know, of, of uh, George Harrison turning up and and handing handing Tom a uke and go, you know, get into this, mate, you know. 
and um, and uh, and then and then giving him another one. He said, "But you've already given me one." He said, "Well, give it to somebody else. You know, give it to one of your friends." You know? Wow. And and um, there's there's photos and there's things of you know the Beatles sitting around in the in the in a park, you know, playing ukuleles. And um, when you when you kind of start to dissect some of the Beatles songs, you can, and particularly George's ones, you can hear that they might have been written on a ukulele. Um, there's little runs and there's certain ways that, um, and the way that the ukulele is connected to a guitar is really cool, you know, like, like it's, I don't know if you guys play guitar, but if you put a, a capo on the fifth fret of a guitar, that, that becomes a ukulele. Yeah, right. right. So it's so the those so the chord shapes are the same. And I've been playing guitar since I was I, before I played drums. I played guitar, you know, badly, but you know, <laughs> I, I like I, me. I, yeah, <laughs> I've been playing guitar. I, I, I um, unfortunately I play a right-handed guitar, left-handed, so that's kind of a bit odd, and it makes it difficult to do some things. But I've sort of perfected a way of doing it now. Oh. But yeah, I love playing the ukulele. I like writing songs on ukulele. I've actually got a guitar lele, which is a six-string ukulele. Wow. Um, and um, we're, I've got a little ukulele band that uh, that we're, we're calling Strum and Hum. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we did a gig the other week and, um, you know, we strum out a few songs and then invite people to play along with us. So I gave them some music for No Secrets. I gave them uh, Sound of Then and a few others. And, and this crowd of people, about 100 people, um, had their ukuleles there and they just played along with us, you know, and sang along. So you know, cool. it's kind of really, it's kind of cool, yeah. So it's, uh, it's a bit of, you know, community singing vibe. Now, I believe that Gang Jang's uh, going on the road, mate. Are you doing a gig soon with Spy versus Spy? Am I correct with seeing we, that? We are. You, you, you are so well... Um, you know, well researched. That's what I love about you. <laughs> um, you know, nothing to do with our publicist giving you anything. I know that you no. found that. You found that actually, out no, we, we did actually. Yeah, no, we uh, we did find that ourselves because we're a bit of fan, mate. Because we we have talked about Spy versus Spy before on the show. We're massive fans because we grew up in that era, mate. We grew up with Absolutely. you guys for that whole thing. In as you know, kids running off the rails and working in radio. So, and, yeah, and yeah. it's really interesting. I think the reason that we're so keen to chat today and sort of delve into Ganga Jang and the stuff you're doing is that just seemed, I've spoken to Robbo about this and we spoke to a few others like, you know, Wendy Matthews, who you've worked with and, um, yeah. and uh, Di from the Party Boys, that there seems to be a resurgence of the 80s right now, even with the younger generation, like the young hipsters seem to be really into that era of rock and roll, like the classic Australian rock and roll. Are you finding that on the road? Um, we're finding, um, well, we're doing a, we're doing a, a, a combination of uh, pubs, you know, so, so you know, your standard, your standard Aussie pub, you know, um, where, the, where your audience will be... Um, you know, early, early 20-year-old drinkers, you know, people out for a good time. You get some of your older fans that come along and thinking that some of our fans are kind of, you know, around the age of us, which is 60-odd. It makes for an interesting kind of audience mix, right? And then you do, you know, we do things like, um, you know, the basement in Sydney, which is the dinner and show thing, or we do Mm. Lazotte's restaurant, you know, which is obviously we get our crowd. Our crowd come... To those kind of things, mate. I, I got to tell you, a couple of a couple of months ago, I had my school reunion, thirty odd year reunion, whatever it was, and um, we all kicked on afterwards, and we went to a place you will probably be familiar with, the Crowy, the Crow's Nest Hotel. Yes, indeed. Yeah, right. Well, there was we we lobbed there about one o'clock in the morning, and there was a cover band on, and they were doing all these, you know more recent covers of, you know, noughties and, and 90s sort of songs and all that sort of stuff. And the crowd would have been late 20s, early 30s. And yeah. the piano, the, the keyboard player played the opening riffs to K-San and I thought, hello, that's going to empty the dance floor. No one's going to know this. It was the complete opposite. The floor filled and I reckon the crowd sang every word yeah. and I was stunned. Well, yeah, that's, that's, the, power of, um, that's the power of longevity. Um, yeah. I mean, cultures are a great example. I've, I've uh, obviously remained friends with them. I've known them, you know, 40 years, you know. Mm, and mm. Um, I went along to one of their concerts not that long ago. In fact, the one, the last one they did at the Entertainment Centre in Sydney. 
Yes. And, um, you know, just kind of observing again uh, the audience age that was there and who was buying the merchandise, who was mm. buying the T-shirts, who was mm. buying the, the stuff. And it wasn't all the old people buying it. No. Yeah, there's the definitely an undercurrent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Now, where can people catch up with the band? Yeah, yeah. The fans here or people who are listening from overseas in the UK or yeah. London, where, where should they go? We've got a very big fan base in Brazil and uh, we've toured there three times actually. And uh, we do, we do really, we have done really good business in Brazil. Huh. Um, so, you know, for any, any Brasileiros that are listening. Do they have cane fields too? In Brazil? Yeah. Yeah, there are, there are, <laughs> there are cane fields in Brazil. Robo <laughs> loves Brazil. Robo loves a good Brazilian. Yeah. <laughs> oh, mate, you know, we've all been looking for that, mate. Absolutely. <laughs> but, you know, the, the, the thing I'd say, we're, we're just about finished this first Phase, shall I say, of yeah. of touring circles in the sand. So once we finish waves, we're pretty much we're pretty much off the road for a little while. I go back up north, up to Arnhem Land, and um, the Daly River region. So I've got quite a lot of work to do up there. With I run this company called the Uncle Jimmy Thumbs Up, and we do nutrition education for kids in remote communities. So I'm away for at least three and a half weeks doing that, and then I'm over in Arnhem Land um, doing, uh, doing work there with, um, with Uncle Jimmy Thumbs Up again. So um, we probably won't start again until, um, I think we're starting again in October. We're doing some more of those pure gold shows, so if you keep an eye out, people in, I think we're doing one in Armadale, there's one in Gosford, there's one in... Melbourne, there's, you know, there's a few of them, um, and I think we'll we'll um, uh, we'll probably you know kick off again maybe January February next year and do a, a, a run of stuff. Um, but I'm, I've got a bit of a vibe to um, I've got a bit of a vibe to make a, a ukulele record, so I'm 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 kind of I'm going to need to put some time aside to uh, you know to to become highly strung. <laughs> so, Buzz, mate, uh, I believe you are uh, bringing yourself into the 2000s and you've got yourself a Facebook page. Am I right? Uh, I have. Look, I had a Facebook page for a while under the name Buzz Bidstra and um, Facebook got in touch with me. I've got like 5,000 or so people on it and Facebook got in touch with me and said, can you prove your Buzz Bidstra? And I sent them, I sent them photos of Angels albums. I sent them all sorts of stuff, you know, about wow. Buzz Bidstra. And they came back to me and they said, "Can you send us a driving license or something that's got Buzz Bidstra?" And of course, my name's Graham Bidstra. Oh, right, <laughs> no. yeah, yeah. And Buzz was a joke name that I took when I joined the Angels, but that's another story. Um, so anyway, I couldn't prove that I was. So anyway, they changed my Facebook. Thing to Graham Bidstrup, and I just thought, you know, f- this. I actually, I'm Buzz, you know, I'm Buzz Bidstrup, you know, right? Yeah. And I started. I, I, I talked to a few people about it, and I've, I've had this idea of the music buzz for a while. And people would say, you know, you're the music buzz, you know. And so I started a page called the Music Buzz. So you can find that on Facebook and join and like. And then you'll get my posts and um, I, I kind of I keep people informed on different things that happen and what we're doing and blah, blah, blah. Um, so the music buzz is now a reality. It's there. It's on Facebook. Fantastic. It's, it's in the ether. So if we want to keep our eye on Buzz's Bits, we need to go to the music buzz. Is that right? You have to go to, to for Buzz's Bits, you go to the music buzz. There you go. Nice. Lovely. Absolutely. Done. Well, Buzz, it's been a treat uh, catching up with you, mate. Thanks for uh, getting in touch. Love the, uh, love the single. Love hearing your stories. The songwriting, the collaborations you've had and your past, your backstory, mate, it's just fantastic. It's been, now, um, been refreshing. Gary, before we let Buzz go, I think since he's been so generous with his time that we actually need to send him a mojo on a rope, don't you? Oh, please. Bit of soap on a rope. Uh, what, Bit of what, soap what? on a rope. <laughs> <laughs> Mate, we've, we've, we've actually, we, you're going to love this because you're a rock and roller. We've actually just picked ourselves up 
a European merchandise girl. How cool. She's, she's How Russian. Cool is she? she's, she's Russian. Russian. She's Russian. And the first lot of merchandise that we're giving away to our listeners is some soap on a rope. And I reckon you should be the first recipient. Yep. Because you're cool. so rock and roll. Yep. I just... I feel I feel honoured. Um, you need a you need an address to send it to. Mate, we'll send it via cat. That's not a problem. We'll send it hey, to Cat and she can pass it on. Soap yeah. on just here's here's the grab. Soap on a rope. This is Australia. Just saying. <laughs> just just saying, bang. You want me to say that? There's your first song on the uke, mate. <laughs> Soap yeah. on a rope. This is Australia. Australia, yeah. Ring, cha-ching. Actually, you know what? We could also give you a challenge and see if you can, somewhere on the ukulele album, on one of the songs, you can fit the word mojo into the song. <laughs> oh, I, could, I could fit mojo in there easy. Well, there you go. There's your challenge. When the album's ready, let us know. We'll get you back on. Gary, Gary and Robbo's mojo, your mofo. <laughs> uh, you, give, you, give, you give him an inch. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. You, a true performer. Wait. You just wait, boys. Yeah. <laughs> you wish you hadn't said that, you know. Yeah, oh, I'm, I'm happy to eat my words. Trust me, I'm more than happy to eat my words. <laughs> <laughs> You've been awesome, Buzz. Thanks for uh, thanks, thanks for thanks for your time, man. Eh? Good on you, boys. Thanks so much. The Mojo Radio Show. So you know the nice thing about this show is that I get to hang out with all these people that I've always looked up to for so long who, if I met them in the street, would look the other way and go, who the hell are you? I tell you what, that, you know, for anybody who's interested in writing, creativity, copywriting, the arts, that was a very cool segment because we really dug into an iconic Australian song, Mm. an iconic songwriting of bands and international megastar bands like ACDC. I mm. think that was uh, that was a cracker. But yeah, um, absolutely. what occurred to me, and we had this sitting in the can, which is a radio talk for sitting in our computer, <laughs> it's one thing to create a great piece of copy or to write a song or to write some blogs for your company or to write an intro to your website. The next part is keeping it protected. Now, we did a great show, didn't we, Robbo, with Alicia Beverly some weeks back on intellectual property. Remember that? Yeah. I'm still working my ass off to <laughs> after everything we spoke about. Yes. Well, I must say, so am I. And it just, it, it, it questions a whole bunch of stuff you're doing. Folks, if you haven't listened to that episode yet with Alicia Beverly, go back and have a listen. Here's a quick snapshot of what we talked about. You said we do an IP audit. Tell me the f- top five things that would scare me that I should audit immediately when we hang up from this call. The top five things that would scare you. Well, pretty much what I've said so far, which is you probably don't have your brand sufficiently protected. You probably haven't um, understood the length and breadth of the copyright that you have had other people create for you who are technically known as the copyright owner. Um, You probably have got your confidential information all over the place, you know, like a bad night out. Um, You probably don't truly understand what your intellectual property value or or position is. but you're going somewhere, right? So that's a great place to be. It's, it's, it's generally a good picture, but it's a confused picture. So an IP audit is really about running a fine-tooth comb through that and understanding, well, what's, what's the mess? What are the tangles? What do we have to do to fix it? And then that's what an IP audit should do is it, it ends with recommendations. You know, this is what I suggest that you need to do next. So that was a grab from episode 77. Now, if you have subscribed to the show, you may have heard that. If you haven't, you can just trawl back through our website, themojoradioshow.com, or go to iTunes and scroll down, click on EP77, download it, have a listen. If you're in business, if you're thinking of starting up a business, you have to listen to this show. It will rock your world. When Rob and I spoke to Alicia, we enjoyed it so much and we uncovered so much. After we'd finished the show, we kept chatting and we discovered some more gold, didn't we, mate? We did. Well, yeah, I've, and I must say, I've spoken to Alicia a couple of times after the show about other stuff and I'm still uncovering yeah. gold, but yes. So we, we discussed intellectual property rights, like how do, you, how do you manage your stuff? Patents, registering designs, trademarks, and the copyright of your content. We thought after talking to Buzz... 
it would be really appropriate to give you the second part of the Alicia Beverly interview on intellectual property. Mm. So let's run part two of the interview with Alicia Beverly on intellectual property. It's a Mojo Show Double, double shot, shot Monday. Something that I get asked about a lot when I'm speaking about marketing and brand, Alicia, is people say, well, how, how can Woolworths own the fresh food people? Or how do Bunnings own where lower prices are just the beginning? And should I, should I trademark or copyright or patent my positioning statement, which is? And I've always found it very interesting because I always tell them to rig you. Um, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm, I'm curious as to the extent, what can or can't Coles do that's legal? How mm. much have they locked that thing away? And, and can we as a, a startup, entrepreneur, small business, can we do the same thing effectively? Okay. There, there are a few answers to that one question. Let's start with whether or not something is protected. And you might remember at the beginning I was telling you that this country is a first-to-use country. So yep. if you've been using something for a long time, eventually you have enough proof of use that even the most cynical trademark examiner is going to go, okay, yes, you prove that despite the fact that it sounds totally generic and everybody else should have it, you have proved that you have really... Um, you've you really monopolized this out in the marketplace and it's become associated with your reputation and goodwill and we get it. And so um, the the trademark will be granted. But you but the reality is is that the fresh food people um, is is a tough one. You know, with great power becomes great responsibility. And I'm pretty sure that was my old mate Spider-Man who said that one. <laughs> Right, you're a real um, big guy in the area of business. But what that means in intellectual property is that sometimes we have these trademarks that we have been granted that are really a bit of effort to keep the monopoly going because uh, for whatever reasons, they kind of stretch what's allowable. And just for instance, um, I don't know if you know this, but when you're doing SEO, you are not allowed to use a registered trademark of your competitor to drive traffic to your website, right. all right? So just right. a little handy hint if you, I don't know, if you want to quickly change anything right now or, <laughs> or if you want to go <laughs> offline from this conversation and fix anything. I'll but, be back in a sec, guys. Yeah, but yeah, okay. You'll well, hear the yeah, door get, close the studio, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Get back to me shortly. Um, the how I know that is if I'm, say, the owner of that trademark, all I have to do is put it into Google, right? And if you are the sole sucker who shows up and the rest is me, I pretty much know that you're using my registered trademark to drive traffic to you. And that's, mm. that's mm. unlawful and I can take action against you for that. Um, so where I was at with that is that the fresh food people is a toughie. Anybody who's selling fresh food really should have the right to use those words. And I'm telling you that I have not checked to see if that's a registered trademark. I can't remember if it is, or I, I have no idea whether it is or isn't. I do know that it comes up a bit though. Mm. Um, so when people are creating trademarks, I always say to them, look, don't, don't do what anybody else in the marketplace is doing. Do be clever. Do create words of your own. You know, there's mm. Uber, Airbnb, um, eBay, Google, um, Citizen, Virgin. Those are all excellent examples of brands because they're not descriptive of the goods or services they're selling. Virgin, thankfully, is not selling. Virgins. Right? <laughs> yeah, got it. Citizen, the watchmaker, they are not selling. Yeah, citizens, Mr. And Mrs. Joe right? Mm. Yeah. Uh, so that and that's important. So keep your brands um, short, sharp, and memorable as best as you can. Make your slogans as clever as possible because a generic slogan is going to be a really uh, it's a rod for your back. It's going to be very hard to keep others from using it. Um, and when I see people out there like you know the food company or um, I saw one in Newtown the other day, which was I think it was called local shop and I was like 
oh, you know, hardy har har, wow, I guess my beard isn't big enough to really fully enjoy this millennial moment where you think that you are being so amazingly clever. And, and the business person in me is going, how am I going to find this guy? Like, mm. how am I going to distinguish myself out in the marketplace if, if this was mm. my, my client? What am I going to do? Nothing. Because, mm. the, you know, how, how you're not distinguishable. So, you know, ge- generally the question, the answer is, yeah, be clever, be sharp, be memorable and go for it. Go for gold. So just on the fresh food people, just quickly, mm. are they are they registering a certain um, combination of words when they read, if they try to register that as a trademark, is that what they're registering or what are they actually, what do they own out of that? I guess is what I'm asking if they can register yeah, that. So, so again, I don't know if they have, I don't remember. No. Um, I, you know, I think I might actually have known, but there's just only so much room in my skull for this sort of stuff. <laughs> so, uh, I, I would rely on a search and I, and I don't have my computer in front but of me. But any of them, let's take Bunnings or anybody. What do the, what do they own? They, they would have filed, uh, if it's a slogan, Yep. Uh, most likely they would have filed what we call a word mark, which is it literally would have been typed in mm. and it would be say, you know, someone has typed in the fresh food people mm. and it would be protected in probably 20 plus classes. Uh, remember there are 45 goods and service classes uh, in this country and in, and in other countries, mm. um, such as America, for instance. And 34 of those are goods classes and 11 are service classes. So no doubt they would have protected it in, you know, the class for fruit and veg, for glasses, you know, and then in the, in the service classes for retail, um, online, and, and so on. Right. So it'd be heavily, heavily applied for. And then the trademark examiner would come back to him and say, gee, guys, um, anybody who sells fresh food should be able to have access to this slogan. And then in this mythology that we're talking about now, um, the lawyers would then file a whole bunch of paperwork showing how they have used it and it has become synonymous with the brand. And if it's successful, if that if that is successful, then it would be granted on that basis. Now, does that mean that somebody else couldn't file something that would also potentially get protection? It, it, you know, it could. It can and it has. Um, and, and this is why I get a bit concerned because when I'm dealing with somebody who, say, has filed a trademark and they're really thrilled and proud of it, and I look at that trademark and I realize that the only thing that they own out of that is actually the look of the logo because the words they've chosen are so generic and are so typical of you know whatever industry they're in. Yeah. Yeah. It, it concerns me because there's this misunderstanding of what actually has been monopolized what actually is being owned. Alicia, I find it fascinating now that companies are owning a colour. So if I take, for example, the Ferrari red or the Tiffany blue or even the BP green. Mm. Tintin brown. And then I heard that, Mm. yeah, that I heard that um, Mazda own Zoom Zoom. Yeah. And Intel own the... Yep. Is this all the same... Uh, trademarking as yeah. it is for in terms of the logo. Does that all encompass it where they take not just the logo, then they break it down and they create their own colour and own the colour or they own the way those sounds are put together which identify with the brand? Is that right? Yeah, because there are different types of trademarks. There are sound trademarks, for instance, uh, before Harley Davidson, you know, when Harley Davidson filed for the trademark, I think uh, the Australian Trademark Office was not actually able to have you upload MP3s at that time. So that you couldn't upload a sound file, basically, is, is what I'm saying. And so they had to actually spell out what the sound of the Harley Davidson engine was. <laughs> right? <laughs> now, Kick ass. Yeah. <laughs> well, actually, yeah. no. It happens to be thokara, thokara, thokara. Is that what it is? <laughs> yeah, right? Well, that's, that's what it was. Oh, I love it. Right, so there are sound trademarks, and you did um, you did you did mention another one, and there's there's plenty of others. There are also smell trademarks. Now they're very rare, and in fact, um, wow. an intellectual property firm that I founded, and I don't 
I'm no longer involved in and don't own anymore. We had filed Australia's only existing um, smell trademark at the time. And if I remember correctly, it was the smell of um, eucalyptus when you opened up the blister pack for your golf tees. Now, I know that sounds wow. all really like, like what, right? But there was a really famous smell trademark for the smell of Christmas pudding on um, washing gloves, you know, when you do the dish, the dish uh, wow. right? And, and the reason why that is, is because a trademark has to be distinctive. So why aren't there, say, trademarks for, say, Chanel yeah. number 5 perfume? Because, well... Perfume is perfume. That's what it does. Uh. But the smell of eucalyptus on golf tees, and then that's part of your brand. Now that's distinctive. That's different. That's cool. that's yeah, cool. that's different. And so that's why there are these different parts of your brand that can be protected from the logo to the smell to the sound to the shape, for instance. You know, a, a mm. shape trademark yeah. is a really brilliant way of protecting something um, indefinitely. Whereas if you did that same shape through, say, the design registration system, System, if it was applicable, you would only get 10 years of, uh, of protection all up. Um, but with, with the trademark office, you'd get indefinite protection. So there's some really clever ways. And that's why I mean, a long time ago in this conversation, you asked me why I'm an IP strategist. Mm. And the reason why is because there's strategy. There's different things you can do. And that's what makes it cool and fun for me. There is a, there's a leader listening to the show and they want to become better as an IP strategist, where would you suggest they put that into their day or weekly planner or monthly planner, Alicia? I mean, I, I, like, I love the idea of being a strategist around IP. Mm-hmm. I can see the upside when it pays off on that day where you have done all the right things, but it would have to be allocated. How, how should someone allocate this into their strategy? I think you nailed it actually what you just said because someone is only going to do this if they see an upside to them, if there's um, mm. something that speaks to whatever their values are or whatever their their own strategy is. You know, if your personal strategy is to build a business, sell it and chill out writing your own memoir, for example, then you're driven to understand this because, yeah, at the end of the you know, a few years, you're going to have this IP portfolio that's going to make you pursued by the right people. So I, I guess what I hope from our conversation is that people listening, your business leaders listening will go, yeah, I want that payday or, you know, maybe that's maybe that's not what drives them. Maybe what the value that drives them is, are you telling me that I've been shafted that many times by that many people for so many years? Are you serious? And then mm. that's what drives them to make sure that they have, say, the right contracts in place. Um, or, or then there's people who kind of geek out on it like I do and they're, and they're collectors and they're collectors of trademarks and and they, they like filing trademarks and they like knowing that they own X amount of brands. I mean, you know, mm. there, there is a church in this country that owns several hundred brands. And the reason why is because they're in the brand business. I'm not going to tell you who it is. Let's see if one of your listeners can work out who wow, it is. I think I know. Yeah. Wow. Um, go ahead and blurt it out if you're up to it. But that that's the truth. They have a huge trademark portfolio because what does it do? It serves the interests of their church to have those powerfully protected brands. They wouldn't be on a hill somewhere, would they? Uh, no, not those people. They, 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 they kind of get that actually, that space. They're just a little bit in that space, but no, not right. them. Okay. Singing their songs? No, not, not quite. <laughs> no, I'm, I think this is so valuable. This is one of the most valuable shows we've done because you could be making somebody or saving somebody a lot of money, frustration. And I've got to say, having to go to court Thank must you. be the most gut-wrenching, mojo-sucking thing you can do. So you're saving people that anguish, I suspect. In the most rudimentary version, Rob and I create a website. We put a website up. We have produced a show, we've done a blog. How do I protect my website, my blog, a podcast? Because we are putting out intellectual property through a web, say a blog, say a podcast, let alone what you do when you're speaking on your feet in front of a a text session. Mm. What would you say are the most rudimentary things to do to own that IP? Well, 
the first thing is to work out who is the creator, the technical term being the author. So who's the who's the author of the work? Sort out the contractual arrangements, get get that to get that done. But the second thing to remember is that you're basically talking about everything that's in the realm of copyright. And copyright is a self-assigned right. Um, you know, America and China have offices of copyright where you can register your copyright. But they are also members of, um, of treaties. And for instance, if I am an Australian and I go to, um, say, an American convention and I present a paper right. um, and I put copyright over it, I'm still self-assigning that right to, to myself. And you are too when you have a blog and when you put a post out and when you have a website, right? So so once we've sorted out what the authorship issues are and that's all yep. handled, the yep. next thing is to assert your rights by, you know, saying this is copyright owned by X individual. Uh, now, just a little aside, in this country, in Australia, copyright can't be owned by a business name. Like for, let's say, for instance, you've just filed, you know, Mojo Enterprises in the state of New South Wales as a business name. And the reason why that is, is because that's not, that's not a, that's not an, a real entity. That's really just you meeting the uh, regulations of doing business or trading in your, you know, in your state. But a copyright can be owned by an individual or a tax-paying entity of some sort, like, you know, a proprietary mm. limited, as an example, yep. or yourself, Gary. Yep. So, uh, to assert your rights, you know, how many times have you seen the common or very standard copyright line? You know, copyright, the word or the symbol, the year of creation, and the who owns it. And then very typically, especially if it's an American entity, you'll see all rights reserved. And, and that's about asserting your rights and making sure it's clear that, you know, those, that's that's your copyright. Mm. Right? Now, I, I just want to throw one thing in just for free. You didn't ask for it, but I'm just going to do it because I'm feeling really great about this whole thing. <laughs> we love freebies. <laughs> yeah. So... You might remember I talked about confidential information as being one of the top three things I'll run into regardless of the business. Confidential information is kind of talked about as it's a, as, as, as if it's a form of IP, but it's not really. It's really um, a form of being careful about stuff. It's, it's about holding things close to your chest, locking them down, you know, and, and so on. When I'm talking to business people, I'll ask them, out of five, right, one to five, how well do you think your team understands what confidential information is? And then generally the number, especially if you're talking about the executive, will be pretty high. And then the next thing I'll ask is, okay, your wider employment, you know, staff, your employees, out of five, how well do you think they understand confidential information? And the answer is very often out of five. It's it's a scary one. It's a two, maybe three at best, right? Now, there have been cases where a, an employer has sued an employee, often an ex-employee, and said, that was confidential information that you were just like higgledy-piggledy putting out there. And the employee has been able to successfully say, well, I had no idea. And then when you've looked at how the confidential information has been handled, it never had a watermark. There was never anything that indicated it was confidential. You, you know, if you were just basically, if you ran across it, you wouldn't have any idea. So in the same way that I was saying to you, you know, slap copyright as um, a watermark or a header or a footer, you know, just basically assert your rights is what I was saying. Do the same with confidential information. Make it clear it's confidential, not only in the way that you transmit it, you know, say through a non-disclosure agreement, but put confidential information on it so that it's understood to be that. I've had business people say to me, now, why would I let people, why would I alert people to, to the fact that I've got something vulnerable? Well, that to me is counterintuitive. If you're working with people who you can't trust, um, uh, you know, nothing you're going to do is going to make that difference anyway. So much to well, think about. Well, this has been great. It's just made me think, uh, Robert, what we need to do is get AP, our voice guy on the phone, to do a tail at the end of the show saying, this show is trademarked to... <laughs> <laughs> Copy All copyright protected. <laughs> That's right. Alicia, That's you've right. Been, you do that. <laughs> you've been so generous with your time. Mm. I, uh, we, we have just loved 
talking to you. Honestly, I could go on. I've got questions I haven't even hit yet with there's so much great stuff amongst what you're doing. It's so valuable, so important. Thank you very much. In in this day and age, you're really on something here because with the, the number of people who are, let's call them startups or working for themselves or starting something from their home bedroom, mm. we all want to do it. If they're not doing it already, they're going to be doing it. We want lifestyle. And I think the stuff you're talking about is just it's either we don't understand it in a lot of cases or if we do mm. understand it, we just push it under the, under the mat. And uh, the payoff comes when you do do something extraordinary and other people want what you've done. That's right. The intellectual property, I think, is so valuable. You've been so, so generous. You've been great fun. And, thank um, you. And we just can't thank you enough. I've had a wonderful time, guys. Thank you so much. All the best. God, it's nice to hear someone say that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm going to go pop a patented uh, beta blocker now, but yes, it's been great. (laughs) Getting your mojo working. This is the Mojo Radio Show. Creativity and protecting it. I reckon um, that that works pretty well together. It's a bit like um, sponge cake and strawberry jam. (laughs) Well, yeah. If you look at the DNA... Mm of any business, whether you're a sole operator or you're running a multi-million dollar Fortune 500 company, mm. coming up with ideas, problem solving, sharing it, then protecting it, you'd have to say that that show would be the basis of any business in any category, yeah. in any part of the world. So I think it's an absolute cracker we've uh, we stumbled upon. It's a bit of a rough mm. transition, but I reckon it works. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, hot on the heels of last week's culinary success, I've got another one of these. Robbo's MasterChef Masterclass. Now, you know I love my smoothies in the morning. Mm. You equally know that I love my chocolate just as much. I've managed to combine the two. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cop this. Talk to me, Goose. Yeah, look, I'm open to criticism, but I reckon it's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, a cup of coconut water, a tablespoon of coconut oil, a third of an avocado, half a cup of blueberries, a tablespoon of soaked almonds, a tablespoon of cacao powder, half a teaspoon of vanilla, a cup of baby spinach, a tablespoon of goji berries, and two teaspoons of spirulina. And you stick it all in the blender for 30 to 45 seconds. And I've got to tell you, mm, 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 mm. <laughs> That's a lot of stuff there. i got to say, mm. that is gold. I, it, all those things, that, that, that is the combination of everything you need to get your mojo working first up in the morning. And yeah. I guarantee you won't be, you won't be hungry until well after lunchtime with that little baby. <laughs> That's tell you what, that, that keeps ticks, you going all that day. That takes a lot of boxes. Yeah. I love it. It's become my go-to. I reckon that it also uh, tastes pretty good too with the coconut oil. Oh. Avo will make it nice and smooth. Mm. Cacao powder, bit of vanilla. Yeah, absolutely. That's good. Blueberries. The that, only that thing rocks. I would suggest to people is don't be turned off by the colour the color that the spirulina yeah. turns it, but um, yeah, yeah, the yeah, taste yeah. is the taste more than makes up for it. Yeah, that uh, that is an antioxidant microbial mm. bomb. Right Indeed. There. Indeed. All right. Well, that's a big show. We Indeed. should uh, we should close up. Play out song. Here's a creative link right. to open the the show we talked about acknowledging greatness before they leave the planet yep and my playout song is green days i hope you had the time of your life because for me i think we should acknowledge these people before we get to the point where they have left the planet and we're looking as a memory i think we mm. should be in, in gratitude so my playout song is a song of gratitude as opposed to a sign of memory. What do you think? Loose? Yeah, loose, but in true mojo fashion. So uh, let's get it on. <laughs> Rock, we're out. Another turning point, a fork stuck in the road. Time grabs you by the rest, directs you where to go. So make the best of this test and don't ask why. It's not a question, but a lesson learned in time. It's something unpredictable, but in the end is right. I hope you had the time of your life. So take the photographs and still frames in your mind. Hanging on a shelf in good health and good time. Tattoos and memories. On trial For what it's worth It was worth all the while It's something unpredictable 
But in the end is right I hope you had the time of your life But in the end it's right I hope you had the time of your life It's something unpredictable But in the end it's right I hope you had the time of your life Mojo Radio Show is produced and recorded in the studios of Voodoo Sound. For more tips and tools to get your mojo working, check us out on Facebook at the Mojo Radio Show or online at themojoradioshow.com. For more about Gary, see garybirtwhistle.com or to polish your next audio or video production, check out voodoosound.com.au and for the right voice, realtimecasting.com. Andrew Peter speaking. See you next time.